Moms, happy Mother's Day. It's good to see you in church this morning. People who are in church this morning because your mom asked you to come with her, welcome. It's good to have you in church as well. Thanks, moms, for uh, doing that. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series on the newness of life that is available because of the resurrection. And if you haven't picked up on it yet, I'm going to preach about relationship and friendship with God. And to do that, I want to begin with um, a story that I heard about a college professor who was a a tenured professor, smart guy, gifted lecturer, a little full of himself because he would oftentimes teach huge auditoriums, you know, the 300 student kind of classes. And on this uh, one particular class, the last day of the class, the the exam was due at a very certain time. And he collected up all the exams. They were stacked up on his desk. And uh, the students had all left. And he sat down to begin grading them when a late student came in with his exam in hand. And immediately he knew what was about to happen. So uh, the professor said, you're late, that won't be accepted, you know my policy. And the student said, do you know who I am? And the professor said, no, and I really don't care. You know the policy. The student said, good. Lifted up the stack of papers, put his in, and then ran out of the room. (laughs) That's That's one of those rare moments where It's good to just be a number and to not be known. But mostly, mostly we don't like that. Mostly we want to be known personally. And if we're treated like we're just a number or just treated for what we can do, we feel used, we feel invaluable or not valuable, and we we don't like that. I was thinking through some of the jobs I held while I was in college, and they went from kind of bad to worse in some ways. I I was very briefly a busboy. And... And if you weren't a waiter in this fancy restaurant, you were just a busboy. You were only good for what you could do. You were black pants, a white shirt, and a bow tie, and you, you were just a number. I quit that job after six weeks to take another job where I thought would be better as a ski instructor, and I was given a jacket that looked like all the other ski instructors, and there were like 50 of us, and then I was assigned to the Tiny Tots, and there were, on any given day, there were five five-year-olds and two teachers, teachers, we didn't even get to use sticks, they called them, poles, and, and the, the people that were in charge would just say, uh, you two take those five kids, and as long as the kids didn't get hurt or have a bad experience, you did your job, but you were not treated like a person. You were just another one of the instructors. You were used And then, even worse than that, I had a job at at the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation as an intern, an engineering intern, and I had a a 40-hour-a-week job for that entire semester, and the engineer I was assigned to treated me just like an intern and was perturbed that I was there. So if I asked him a question, he was put out by that and didn't want to answer it. He sat me at a drafting table all day long with a bunch of road surveys and made me draw lines with a straight edge on these big plans that it was absolutely futile, and I was just an intern to him. I hated that. I wanted to be known and valued for me as well as what I could do. And the same is true for you. We don't want to just do work for somebody to get the work done. We want to be a person. We don't want to just be a number. It's about a relationship. And today I want to consider the difference between works and relationship. And what it means in this book, the difference between works and relationship. And we're wondering, what are we supposed to do as followers of Jesus? What is our work? What is our job? Well, if you'll grab a Bible and go to John 14, Jesus in that gospel passage that Luke just read for us addresses works, but the answer of what the works are might catch you off guard a little bit. 
So go to John 14, and this is a very famous passage. Um, It's where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the verse that really struck me as I prayed through it this week was actually verse 12. It's where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. And by the way, if he says something that starts out that way, whatever is about to come after it will be profound. Every time in the Bible it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. That's a profound statement. You will do the work I am doing, and you'll do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, upon a cursory reading of that, when you first see it, you might think, well, okay, well, he's talking to the apostles here. This is, you know, in John chapter 14, it's part of, it's somewhere between when he washes their feet in the upper room and when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. It's somewhere between there. And I don't know if it was while they were walking there or whatever. He has this interaction. So he's talking to now the 11 disciples. And you might think, well, the greater works are the fact that the apostles were going to do signs and wonders, which in fact they do in Acts after the resurrection. It's one of the ways that the apostles were recognized as legitimate is that God empowered them to do these incredible signs and wonders. So maybe that's the greater works he's talking about. But he's not saying, if you're an apostle, you'll do this. He says, anyone Whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do. So that would be any Christian is going to do this kind of work and even greater work. So right now, we, we're, we're, well, we know it's not these signs and wonders that the apostles are going to do. So what's he talking about? Well, the context here, and by the way, when you read your Bible, context is always king. The context is part of the text and the meaning. Philip has just heard him say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And when you read Jesus' response, you can sense that he's almost hurt by that question, that request. He says in verse 9, how have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Now keep in mind, for three years, Philip was one of the the apostles. He was walking with Jesus. He got to be, dine with him. He got to see all the things that Jesus did. And he makes this request, we just want to see the Father. Show us the Father and that will be enough. You know, it's not that different than the other passages we've been looking at in this Easter season, where Thomas just wanted to see the nail marks. And the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus said, some of our people went to the tomb and they didn't see Jesus. They wanted to see, they wanted to see something. And now here's Philip saying, I want to see the Father. Just show me the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus is saying, the Father is in me. If you, if you know me, you know the Father. And then he talks about these works. Now somebody once said to me, um, this, this guy that owned a bike shop, and I spent a lot of time in there hanging out with him in college, and then later, um, he, he, he kind of fashioned himself as an instructor. He had this kind of shop where you could go in and work on your own bike with his tools, and he'd give you some instruction on how to do that, and it was kind of a co-op sort of thing. And he one time said to me, he knew I was a seminary student at this point, and he was talking to me about religion, and he said, you know, I'm a pretty good instructor, a good teacher of you know, mechanics. And he said, Jesus was not a good teacher, And I said, well, Jesus didn't primarily come to teach. That was not his purpose in coming. He came to be a mediator, to die on a cross so we could be reconciled to God. 
And if you understand that as his primary purpose, then you can look at his teachings and they start to make sense. And then actually you find out that he's a masterful teacher, the best teacher that ever lived because he was threading this needle between being put on the cross too soon for revealing his glory and also taking enough time to invite lots of people into this relationship with God. He was a master, but he didn't come primarily to teach us. He came to save us by dying on the cross so we could be reconciled to God. That's the purpose. And if you think like my, my friend did, that this book is just about Jesus as a good teacher, you, you won't understand any of it. It won't make sense. The whole thing is about relationships. So let me jump around a little bit in here. If you jump back, you don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll go there. If you go back to um, uh, chapter 6, right after Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and they start chasing after him because they want more of this free food. And he says, don't work for food that perishes. And then they ask him this question, what work must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, if you, without looking at, don't cheat, don't go get the answer. If you had to answer what the, the answer you think was, what would you say? Well, do good things, care for the poor, tell people about God through Jesus. What, what are we supposed to do? And his answer is, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's the work, to believe in Jesus. And when you get to the end of John's gospel, John says all these signs, all these works, if you want to use that word, all these works that Jesus has done that are recorded here were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing have life in his name. So it's about life, a new kind of life, and it comes through faith. And then if you went to chapter 17, only two chapters or three chapters after where we are right now, Jesus prays this high priestly prayer to the Father, and he says something in there that is very profound. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's life, to know God. You know, we see stickers on the back of cars all the time, salt life, beach life. I want one that says life life. You know, I don't know, that marketing, that marketing campaign has just spread like, like a virus, but life is a word that's really important. Well, what is life? Here, Jesus tells us, life, eternal life, the real life is to know God and Jesus whom he sent. That's where life is found. It's in knowledge. Now, I want to I put up here the, uh, if you'll, Daryl, if you'll put up the little vision diagram. You guys have probably seen this. We've been using it for a couple of years. It's kind of complex. I've been developing it. It's got the Great Commission on the top as our vision of our church. That's our mission. And at the bottom, it's got our four central ministries, worship, belonging, mercy, and mission. But on the sides of that kind of football field there are the, we'll call them the rules of how we play the game. And on the right, we've got our core principles. These would be things like the Bible's our authority, other stuff. But on the left, I have our preferred culture. And the very first one I listed is personal walk. I know you can't see that from back there, but just get the general idea of the picture. Personal walk, something that I hope will be, will be a core value, a central thing of the culture of our very church is that we are not proclaiming a religion. We are proclaiming a relationship, a personal, living, walking, living it out relationship with God who is alive. It is about knowing him and being known by him. It is not like that professor in that example where I don't know who you are. You're just a number to me. You're just another freshman in some big seminar. No, he knows your name and he wants you to know him. That's, what's, that's the work. That's the work he's given you to do is to know him and to make him known. So, relationship, not religion. 
to think religiously misses the point. So Philip, let's consider him for a second. And you can, you can take that down. Um, Philip was one of the main dudes. He was one of the apostles. He'd been with Jesus for three years. He, he was a key leader, you could say, in the early church. He was at every church service, let's say. He attended everything. Wherever Jesus was, he was there. Even more so, he brought Nathaniel to Jesus, who also became one of the key leaders. So he had done a good job of bringing other people. But he missed this central point, that it's all about a relationship with the Father through Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know the Father. That's why he came. And if Philip is able to miss that key point, we could too. We who are key leaders in the church or regular attendees, we who bring other people, we who do lots of stuff that's religious, but we, we can very easily miss the most important thing is that it's about a relationship with God, a living, real relationship. And if you want to know God, Jesus is the way. Now, right here, we find two objections that people have. When they hear that in this culture, they stand back and they, and they become very wary of Christianity. One is this idea of exclusivity. Christians think that they're the way to God, that their religion is the right one. What about all those other good, intention, well-intentioned other religions that are out there? And that's an argument that will come a lot. Every religion thinks they've got the right way. If they didn't, they would change. So that's why they believe what they believe. They think it's, it's right or it works for them. And the idea that all religions can just get along, I mean, back to bumper stickers, the coexist thing, that actually is a religious viewpoint, and it is inflicting its viewpoint on you if you're a Christian, saying you are wrong to claim exclusivity. What we say coexist is actually what matters, which you recognize is, is an exclusive claim, that all religions are equally valid. So that's making a religious statement. So let's, let's not get hung up on the who is right and who is wrong and miss the central thing, that God has made a way to know him. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. God didn't have to do that. He doesn't need us like we need him. He loves us and wants us, but he does not need us. He didn't have to do that, but he did because we're so important to him. And let's not let the exclusive claim cause us to miss the fact that Jesus has come. He came because he loves us. Now, Jesus in the garden prayed If it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. And the cup was the cup of the wrath of God on sin. And he was about to drink it. And he knew it was going to be really difficult. And so he said, but not my will, but yours be done. Now, if there was any other way to God but the cross, would Jesus have gone to the cross? No. No. That would be stupid. There's no way. But it was the only way, it was the way that God had appointed, and he was willing to do it out of love for us. So let's not miss that, that there is a way. So there's an, that's one of the objections, is the exclusivity of Jesus as the way to the Father. Another one is that this relationship thing. You know, people will say, have you ever accepted Jesus as your, your Lord and your Savior? A personal relationship. Do you know him personally? And people get hung up on that because what we want to do is we want to think theologically or philosophically. We want to debate religion. We want to think it through down to its rational conclusions and then say this makes sense. But that's up here. That's an idea. And it presumes with the enlightenment that we are primarily thinkers. We're not. We're primarily worshipers. And what are we worshiping is the question. And so we're not going to think our way into the kingdom of God. What we have to do is recognize that it's a relationship and initiate that relationship with him 
and say, are you the one who is to come? God, are you real? I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me. See, what you do if you say that is you're actually praying. You're now moving towards a type of worship. You're starting to talk to the living God, which for some people is really hard to do. For all of us, it is initially. It feels so foreign because we're not used to it. But we have to get to that place because it's all about a relationship. It's not just about knowing facts about God. And you might have been in Bible study all of your life. You might know, you, you could probably, you might, be able, you might be able to beat me in a sword fight. You know, scripture verses back and forth and who knows more. We, you might. I'd love to do it. That's fun. I like that exercise. But at the end of the day, it's not about knowing facts about God. It's actually about knowing him personally. You know, I can tell you facts about our president, but I don't know him. I do not know him personally. And so if you can tell me facts about God, but you don't know him personally, you've missed the whole point. The whole point of this. It is all about knowing him. Now, Jesus comes down to the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He says something that is so provocative, and it, it's, it's actually a little unsettling if we, if we don't uh, recognize what, what the implications are here. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. So, see, you could read that and think, okay, so I have work to do. I have to do the will of the Father to be accepted into the kingdom. But then he goes on and he says, on that day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works? You could say greater works than these in your name. And then I will declare to those people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. At the end of the day, it's about knowing him. That is what's most important. Our work is to know him. Your work is to get to know the Father through Jesus, the way to the Father. He is inviting you to know him. Now, how are these works going to be even greater than the ones that he does? Well, let me just briefly look at a couple of things in this passage from John 14 that Jesus is doing. Well, one is he is coming to reconcile us to God. God is holy and we are not. And to stand in the presence of holiness would just be overwhelming. It would destroy us. We couldn't. We couldn't do it without a mediator. So he comes and dies on the cross to be able to reconcile us to God so that we then can approach God in Christ's righteousness. <clears throat> he's reconciling us by the cross. And then he's modeling <clears throat> a moment-by-moment -moment relationship with the Father. Look at what he says. He says, Philip, how can you sh say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So the Father is working through the words and actions and even miraculous signs of Jesus, revealing himself to the world so that he can be known personally. Of course he knows us, but how could we know him? Well, the way is he sent his Son. And if we know the Son, now we know the Father. And so what's happening here is he is moment by moment in, in communion, in relationship with his Father. And he's modeling that for us. So then Jesus does one other thing. So not only does he reconcile us on the cross and he models a moment-by-moment -moment relationship with the Father, then he actually commissions us to do the same things. Paul, the apostle, says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. 
Obviously, you and I are not going to die for people's sins on the cross. That's been done once for all time. But through that, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation that we can then bring the good news to other people and help them connect to the Father. And then we also need to pursue friendship with God and learn to have this kind of a relationship like Jesus did, where we are constantly talking to the Lord. We are constantly hearing from the Lord. Last week, Sam Garrison spoke to us about how the good shepherd is speaking and his sheep hear his voice. And we need to learn to have ears to hear, to expect God to speak to us. You can't have a relationship if communication is only one way. And I know this sounds crazy sometimes, but God is constantly speaking. You wouldn't be a believer. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't be a believer if you hadn't heard his voice. Now, you didn't audibly hear it, most of us, but you heard it. He's constantly speaking, and we have to develop that friendship. And what happens is a person who really knows God is an incredible witness because those around you know They know that you're different. They see the qualitative difference of your life. They see what happens when pressure comes. I'm watching a number of you go through awful things right now in your life. And when those terrible sicknesses or whatever come into your life, real faith starts to shine. People say, this suffering is terrible. I hate it. But my prayer life has gotten so good. I'm hearing God. He is comforting me. He's like their faith starts to grow and shine very brightly. What a witness that is. Jesus says, you'll do even greater works than these because I go to the Father. And just like the Father was working through Jesus in his ministry, the Father and Jesus are working through his people as a ministry to the world. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. So he dies, he's resurrected, and ascends to the Father. We have so much more to give witness to because of that that Jesus didn't in his earthly ministry. Until the cross, Jesus, we we couldn't understand what that was going to mean. So our witness is even greater than that. That's the work that we're doing, is we are helping people have a relationship with God because we have a relationship with him. So don't settle for just being a number. There's what, something like seven billion humans on this planet? It can feel overwhelming. You can feel, if you go to a major city, I mean, if you go to town center, you can start to feel like I'm just another car in a sea, a parking lot. Do I even matter, right? You're one of seven billion You have a social security number if you're an American. I mean, like, you're just a number. You're not just a number. You're an individual, and you matter to God, and he wants to know you personally and be known by you personally. I love uh, Psalm 5.3. This year, I wrote it in the first page of my journal. It's a Psalm of David, and he says, he says, in the morning, you will hear my voice. It speaks of a relationship. God, expect to hear from me because I know you. I'm, I'm going to pursue you with all of my life. <clears throat> I did a funeral in here on Friday, and as we, as we enter into the service, there's a very somber procession. It's the, this is where the, the prayer book is so, so excellent in weddings and funerals. There's a somber procession behind the cross where there are some words that are very assuring. That are, it's kind of an anth- a little um, uh, pulled together scriptures, a little anthology of scriptures. And there's a place in here where it says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. After my awaking, he will raise me up and in my body I shall see God. I myself shall see and my eyes behold him who is my friend and not a stranger. When that day comes, it's not going to be like a, who are you? It's going to be, have you ever had a long distance, uh, like a business relationship over a phone 
where you're constantly calling somebody up to buy or sell something or you know, conduct business, and it's always, you, they're a voice on the other end of the line. But over time, you start to build kind of a, you, there's some small talk in there, you start to get to know them, but you've never seen them. And then you show up at some conference or convention or whatever, and you're like, aha, I knew it was you. I knew you, right? That's what it's going to be like. We're going to get there and go, ha, my friend and not a stranger. This is the one I've known because that relationship starts now. That's part of the newness of life. That's what Jesus has come to do, to make a way for us to have that relationship. And you know how it starts? It starts with talking to him and then listening and expecting him to respond. And if you're not sure how he responds, listen to the sermon from last week. Sam gave five different ways that God speaks to his people. But I want to speak to him right now and pray for us. So would you please join me in this? Lord, I thank you that you know each one of us by name. Even more so, you know the number of hairs on our head. You know the words that we're going to say before they even come off of our tongue. I ask that you would help us to get to know you in a much more personal way. Lord, teach us to pray and teach us to listen. Draw us in so that we can praise you and know you and love you and be your friend. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.